You're listening to Connect Communities Podcast, recorded live in Stamford, Connecticut. If you'd like to know more about our community, stop by our website at www.connectcommunity.tv. Enjoy the message. I want to encourage you with this message today. I have titled it very simply, You Belong. You Belong. Can you look at somebody and say, hey, you belong. Yes, and we're going to read out of uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 5, from the NLT version. And it says, we are many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. We are many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. Have you ever come across someone where, even though you were completely different, you realized, you came to realize that you belong together? Like you belong to each other. You belong in community. You belonged with each other. Perhaps it happened at work. Perhaps it was a coworker who was completely different than you, completely different personality, completely different set of skills, but somehow that person's set of skills offset your skills so well that you complemented each other really well. You complemented each other perfectly. Maybe you experience this at home. I hope you do with your partner, your, your spouse. Maybe that person is so different from you and they were raised differently. They were brought up in a different environment. But somehow you complement each other. You belong together. There's something about your spouse or, the per- or your son or the person that is living in your household that you know like you belong together even though you're different. Now, if you have experienced this in any area of your life, you have caught a glimpse of what the kingdom of God is about. Because this is what the kingdom of God is about. It's about us belonging to each other. Now, from the outset, we need to understand this. Even if you're here this morning and you are not a church person, maybe you're here this morning, you were invited, you heard that we had candy, and you wanted free candy, because who doesn't want free candy? Sneakers. And uh, you, you showed up here, but you're not really a church person. You're not a God person. You know, you're not really sure if Jesus is the son of God. Or You need to understand this, that this message, that this life that encompasses, that what encompasses our life, our talents, the gifts that we were given, we were made to belong. Every person we know belongs. Every person you come in contact with, every person in your neighborhood, in your family, every person you have that's under your sphere of influence, every person you have contact with, they belong. They not only belong to God, which they do, but they belong with you. And they belong with us. And you belong with them. We belong to each other. Now, this is an idea that is central to the message of Jesus. This is an idea that is central to the gospel. Because the gospel idea is that every person on earth, every person who was made in the image of God, which is all of us, our set of skills, our capacities, we all fit together. And the message of Jesus is that we all have a part to play in the kingdom of God. We are all invited to be part of this great big family. And we see, we, we see Jesus sharing that throughout his ministry. But there's, this, there's one story that I want to highlight today, and it's found in chapter four, on the chapter 4 of the book of John. 
It's a well-known story. You're probably hearing the reference. Some of you already know where I'm going with this. But this is the story of Jesus. Jesus, in the middle of a journey, he meets a stranger. And in the middle of his journey, he's going from Judea back to Galilee. And he has to cross a piece of land called Samaria. And Jesus comes into this area, and his disciples go into the city, and Jesus sits because he's weary, he's tired from the trip, and he sits by a well, and he meets a stranger, and a dialogue begins. So we're going to pick up on the scripture, chapter 4 of the book of John, verses 3 through 10. He, Jesus, left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he said he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field of, that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. That would be noon for you and I. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, Ask for a drink for me, a woman from Samaria, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, and who is it that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Now there's a lot happening here in this passage that John doesn't give context to because he doesn't have to. See, John is writing to an audience that would have understood exactly the significance of what just took place. They would have understood exactly what Jesus had, the barriers that Jesus had to overcome and cross to simply begin a conversation with this woman. And, and people would understand why she was so surprised. Now, you and I, we wouldn't necessarily know this because it's been 2,000 years since this happened. So I want to give you a little bit of context to this passage and why it's so significant what Jesus did. Because... This rift, this animosity between the two peoples, the Jews and the Samaritans, had been going on for a long, long time. And we can go back even in the Old Testament. If you go back to 1 Kings, I believe, yes, 1 Kings chapter 16, we can see that the, the kingdom of Israel was divided. So there was the kingdom of Judah and the kingdom of Israel, two lands, two kings. And the kingdom of Israel, uh, a, a guy by the name of Omri, rose to kingship. And he became the king of the land of Israel. And Omri was not a nice guy. He was not a good guy. The scripture says that King Omri did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. But King Omri bought a hill. He bought a hill from a guy named Shamer. And in this hill, he fortified it and he built a city. And that became the capital of the kingdom of Israel. He moved all the operations to that city. And he called that city Samaria. So Omri established that city. And that's the first time we hear about Samaria. This is about 450 years before the passage that we just read with Jesus and the Samaritan woman. Omri establishes this city. And he was not a nice guy. Neither was his son, Ahab. King Ahab was the guy who married Jezebel. If you know a little bit of scriptures, you know that Jezebel was a pagan princess. Jezebel killed all the prophets of God she could get a hand on. And Jezebel and Ahab, they... they built an altar to Baal in Samaria. And they invited all the people of Israel, the people of God, to worship Baal. Well, Elijah was the prophet that came in and prophesied against Ahab and Jezebel. That happened in Samaria. 
Now, a little bit later, we find in Ezra, chapter 4 of Ezra, that the Samaritans were involved in sabotaging the plan of Israel, the people of Israel, to rebuild the temple. When they wanted to rebuild the temple, the Samaritans were involved in tattletaling them to the king. They didn't want them to rebuild the temple. And later in the book of Nehemiah, when Nehemiah comes to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, to restore Jerusalem, to bring all the exiles back into one place, the Samaritans, the army of Samaria, it's said in the, in the fourth chapter of the book of Nehemiah, that the army of Samaria was standing with the two officials that were, that were mocking Nehemiah for even trying to build the wall. So Samaria was involved in, in sabotaging the people of Israel. It had been involved for a long time. And some scholars believe that that's where that rift began. So what Jesus is facing here is, a, is a, 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 an animosity that had lasted centuries. Many, many years of animosity. Many, many years of this type of division. Now, something you might know, maybe you do, maybe you don't know, but the word Jew comes from the word Judah. And, and Judah was, the capital of Judah was Jerusalem. So when Nehemiah called the kingdoms back together, when the kingdom of, of Israel was reconsolidated under one leadership, the people of Samaria were not included. So from then on, they became this kind of people that they were mixed. They allowed other people, other gods into their culture. But they honored Jacob, but not the whole Torah. They honored uh, uh, Moses. They really revered Moses, but not the entire uh, uh, Torah or uh, the, the, the Jewish Bible. So they were kind of the, this people that were not in and they were not out. They were like outcasts. And Jewish people saw them as less than. They saw them as this group of people that they were not as clean. They, was not, they were not as, as uh, uh, devoted to God. Centuries of prejudice. Centuries of mistrust. Centuries of dirty headlines against each other. Centuries of mean tweets and bad hashtags. Talk going back and forth between Jewish people and the Samaritans. A strong division. Now you and I. Here in 2017, we're not too uh, stranger, strange. Uh, we're not strangers to division, are we? We're not really uh, strangers to division. In fact, I, I was reading just yesterday on the news about a poll that was done uh, by the University of Maryland and uh, the Washington Post. They did a poll, and the results are that 70% of Americans today. It just came out on Friday. 70% of Americans today believe that the United States is as divided as it was in the Vietnam era. That our country is divided. That our ideology is divided. And there's a lot of division happening in our communities. There's a lot of division happening in our countries. We have political divisions. We deal with religious divisions. We deal with racial divisions. And we deal with social economic divisions. We, we deal with a lot of ideological, as I said, divisions and ethnic divisions. And I believe that Jesus has the answer for it. I believe that the message of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus, is the answer for it. So I want to explore this passage with you because what Jesus walked into was not much different than what we are facing today. It was probably a much deeper kind of division that he faced. 
And I want to walk with you through these passages because we need to understand that we belong to each other. So how did Jesus address this? How did Jesus walk into this situation? How did Jesus see and perceive this division? This religious division. It was a political division. It was a division of opinion. And I love that this passage, one of the reasons why I love this passage is because Jesus addresses this magnificent thing, this massive thing. And he doesn't use miracles. He doesn't walk on water. He doesn't turn water into wine. That could have helped. <laughs> there was no blind gaining sight. There was no lame walking. There was no supernatural, really, miracle happening. Jesus started a conversation. There's no crowds. There was no spectacle. It was Jesus, weary, tired, thirsty, sitting at a well, meeting a woman who was weary, tired, and thirsty. In different ways, they were at the same place. Jesus was weary of his physical journey. She was weary of her emotional journey. And he begins a conversation with her. Now, there are many reasons why Jesus could have avoided this entire exchange. This entire dialogue could have been avoided with good reason. Jesus had good reason, good, uh, 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 good reasons in their society, good social norm reasons for him to avoid this. First one, I'll give you two. First one, which is really obvious, I just talked about it, is the fact that she was a Samaritan. She was a Samaritan woman, and from both sides, the animosity was fed. So from both sides, it would have been okay if Jesus never spoke with her. There was a social factor also that Jesus speaking with a woman, for you and I, in 2017, this might be a shock, but talking to a woman wasn't really elevating Jesus' cause. It wasn't really helping him in any way. The fact that she was a woman also wasn't a big help, because not only because... She was seen as second class, but she was a woman from Samaria. That was even worse. For us today, it's not, it's not a big deal. The only strange thing that you might think is like, Jesus asked her for a drink? Our normal thing is like, not ours, single people. Can I buy you a drink? That's the first contact with a woman, right? Hopefully not for many of you, but... <laughs> But Jesus comes to her and asks for a drink. And he starts a conversation. I love that he starts a conversation. Now, there's so much in this passage. There's so much in there. And there's so, much, so many layers that we can peel off in this passage. And I encourage you to go back and read that encounter. Because Jesus gives her an opportunity to trust. And when she does, he reveals to her, to her the kingdom of God. He shows to her. He makes it available to her. He invites her into the kingdom of God. And he explains that the kingdom of God is not really about worshiping God here or there. It's not about whether you're in Jerusalem or in Samaria. It's not about whether you're a Jew or you're a Samaritan. The kingdom of God is about worshiping him in spirit and in truth. In other words, what Jesus was saying is that God is looking for people that are simply honest. That are not wearing any masks. That are not coming to him because of their ethnicity or where they were born or who raised them. But that are coming to him because they love him and because they are seeking truth. Now, there's a lot in that. And Jesus reveals himself as the Messiah for the first time to this woman. 
But I want to park in this theme of belonging because in this message right here, in this, in this passage, there is a message of belonging to you and I that I believe we can apply to our, our lives today. Whether in your family, in your neighborhood, in our cities, and even in our nation. Now the first thing, I'm going to give you three action points from this passage so that it can help us across, walk across the room. It can help us engage with those people that we would be probably uncomfortable for us, for us to engage. Jesus was in a very uncomfortable situation engaging with a Samaritan woman. And there's a few things that we can learn from this passage. The first action point I want to share with you, if you're taking notes, is let's talk. That's the first action point. Let's talk. There's so much power in wholehearted conversation and sitting across the table from somebody. There's so much power in engaging in good conversation where there are no masks, no pretending. There's nothing that we're hiding, just good conversations. And if we want to see restoration in our lives, if we want to see restoration in our relationships, if we want to see restoration in our marriages, in our, in our society, in our families, we need to start right here. We need to start with good, wholehearted conversations. We need to talk. Dr. Brene Brown wrote a book, uh, Braving the Wilderness is her latest book. And the second, the second chapter is titled, People are hard to hate close up, so move in. And this is a very true a statement. People are very hard to hate close up. So moving. And we all have heard these broad comments, broad comments about groups of people, broad comments about uh, uh, that are inaccurate about people groups. And typically it goes like this. People on this side of the aisle talk about the people that are far over there in that side of the aisle. It's about that group. It's about that person. It's about those people over there. Things like, oh, the millennials are entitled. Those millennials over there, they're so entitled. Or the boomers, those people, the whole entire group of boomers in the country, they're greedy. They care about money. They don't care about the planet. They don't care about, uh, uh, about renewable energy or whatever else. You know, they, they, they're greedy. How about, oh, that country is against our country. The entire country is against our country, or the Republicans are this, or the Democrats are that, or liberals are this, and conservatives are that. We can really have general comments. And those, genera those generalities, when you hear a generality like that, it should bring up a red flag. You sh it sh something should go off in you. There should be a red flag. I'm sure that Jesus had heard all the comments against Samaria. I'm sure he had heard all the arguments that how Samaritans are not true to God, how they allowed mixed people that worship other gods to come in their land and marry their women, and how the Samaritans are not really a, a, a perfect breed from the Abraham, and, and how Jesus shouldn't really have any dealings with them. What, what does he do? What does he do in light of all of those criticisms? He moves close in. And he starts a conversation. So I think that we should start right there. Good conversations. Having good conversations. So that we may understand each other. And on, on that note of talking. On that note of having conversations. Uh, I think that we need to relearn how we talk. Don't we? 
the society is like, it's really important for us to relearn how to talk. Because a Facebook comment is not talking. Am I right? A Facebook comment is not a wholehearted conversation. In fact, some of us here who are a little bit ahead in life, who have had strong, uh, wholehearted conversations, we need to teach the younger generation. Because there's a generation growing underneath us that thinking, thinks that texting is wholehearted conversations. It's closer to thumb wrestling than wholehearted conversation, isn't, isn't that right? There's nothing that substitutes you sitting in a room, putting your phone away, and being fully present with your mind, with your heart, with your spirit, and your body. Sitting across the table with somebody and sharing your heart. That's why I love connect groups. Let me just plug that in right here. I love connect groups. And we have heard so many stories of people in this room that have grown closer to God and grown closer to other people. They've had healing happen in their soul because they simply sat in the living room and they talked. They talked. They talked about life. They talked about struggles. And they shared their lives. We belong together. And an essential part of belonging together is talking. I imagine uh, what would have happened if Jesus' conversation with this woman had started via text. Do you think about that stuff? Like trying to put new technology into the scriptures and the whole thing would have gone out the window. Imagine Jesus texting her, hey, yo, give me a drink. I just imagine the Samaritan woman going like, there's an app for that. You know? <laughs> How about Uber Eats? You know, they can bring you a drink. It would not have yielded, yielded the same results. It would not have been as productive. All right? The second action point I want to give you is very simple. And this is very practical for you. Second action point is start with 10. And I'll explain. Start with 10 if you're taking notes. Now, we live in days where it's very easy to be dismissive, to be critical, to look at somebody and pass judgment without knowing the context of their life. Without knowing what they're going through. Without knowing their challenges and their situations. Who can be so critical with, of other people without knowing what they're up against. Without knowing the kind of mourning they had. Without knowing what they're going through. So I've heard it said this way. If you could, if you could um, re rec record on a scale of 0 to 10 the kind of score you give people when you first meet them. When you first judge them. What would it be? In other words, if you meet somebody for the first time, do you give them a five? Do you give them a zero and make them work up to ten? Or do you give them a ten? I want to encourage you this morning to start with ten. I've heard it said this way. Start with a ten. So that if people disappoint you, maybe they lose a couple points. But they're still an eight. If they're really bad, really mean, maybe they lose, you know, four points. They're still six. And it, it can be easy for you to forgive them and bring them back up to 10. Start with the 10. Think about what Jesus did for this woman. In uh, verse 16 of the same chapter, it says that Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him. Look what she said. I have no husband. And then Jesus comes in with the big one. You're right in saying that. In saying that I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not yours. What you said, it's true. Now think about this. 
Jesus knew that the man she was with was not her husband. He knew it all along. He knew that she, she had been divorced, not only once, but five times. And now she was so distraught that she, was, she had allowed herself to become a mistress. She was a mistress to a married man. And Jesus knew it all along. But why did he ask her to go get her husband? He started with the ten. He was giving her the benefit of the doubt. He was saying, hey, go get your husband. That was the appropriate thing to do. See, he didn't shame her. He didn't guilt her. He didn't say, hey, I know that you're not living right. I know that you did this, 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 and that. He didn't do that. He gave her the benefit of the doubt. So let's start with 10. All right? Without prejudgment. I think that, imagine how, how much better our lives would be if we gave people the benefit of the doubt. Imagine how much better our, our, our relationships in our communities and our families would be if we gave people the benefit of the doubt. If when something happens, we thought, well, they didn't really mean to do that. Well, they didn't really mean to hurt my feelings or to do that. So let me start a conversation and really see what's going on here. I think we could avoid a lot of heartache, a lot of pain. I'll give you the third uh, action point, which, you know, it's, it leads into it, what I just said. The third action point is be a giver, not a taker. And scripture says in Luke chapter 6, verses 37 and 38, this is Jesus saying, he says, judge not. And you will not be judged. Condemn not. And you will not be condemned. Forgive. And you will be forgiven. Give. And what? It will be given to you. Good measure. Pressed down. Shaken together. Running over. Will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use. It will be measured back to you. Now many people read this passage. They read this passage and they say. Well you're not supposed to judge. Next. Right? Or, why are you judging me? Thou shalt not judge. It's not really a commandment. <laughs> All right? <laughs> why are you judging me? That's not really what the passage says. What the passage says is this. You will be judged as you judge. You will be judged as you pass judgment. In the same way that you condemn others, you will be condemned. See, we tend to be really kind to ourselves and not so kind to other people. And what Jesus is saying here, it works backwards. The same mercy that you offer, it'll be offered back to you. The same kindness that you offer, it'll be offered back to you. So if you want the opportunity of not being judged, start by not judging. If you want the blessing of not being condemned, start by not condemning. Do unto others as you wish it was done unto yourself. If you don't judge you won't be judged. But if you do, you will be judged by the same measure that you have been, uh, that you have judged. Look at what Jesus did to this Samaritan woman. He did not offer her what she deserved. He offered her what she needed. Jesus didn't give her what she deserved. He gave, gave her what she desired, what she was seeking. She wanted living water, and that's what he gave him. And, in, and later on in that passage, we find Jesus saying that, you know, he was already satisfied when the disciples came back with the food because he was weird and tired and wanted water and food. And he didn't eat the food that they gave him because he said, I have a food to eat that you not know of. In other words, 
In giving what he wanted, he was satisfied. And I believe that's the principle for you and I. You know, some of us, we want to receive, and you're here to receive, and it's all good with that. You know, you come to God to give your heart, and you want to receive. We, we, we encourage that. But there's a key here in how you get to receive what God has for you. You give. Imagine what would happen if, you, if, if we gave what we are seeking. Imagine what would happen in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our cities, if we chose to give what we desire. Even in our nation, what would happen to our communities if we chose to give what we are looking for, if we gave forgiveness freely, if we gave mercy freely, if we gave love freely, if we gave kindness freely, if you just gave. Imagine what would happen if we all, instead of saying, God, I need love, God, I need something for my life, we prayed differently. We said, God, Who can I show a special kind of love today? Show me who I can show mercy to, to today. I believe that if we engage our lives with that mindset, we will see our needs satisfied. We will see the things that we are looking for satisfied. Because when we care for others, when we take care of others, if we give others what we desire, the promise is God will take care of you. He will measure your life well and be good to you. Your heavenly father will take care of you. See, I believe our neighborhoods, our streets, our communities are filled with people that need to know that they belong. They need to know that their, their talents, the way that they were shaped and formed and made, were intricate to the part that they are supposed to play in this larger scale, in this larger kingdom, in the larger plan of God. There's a scripture that says that God has prepared good works for you and I so that we should walk in them. When we all want to be part of something bigger than ourselves, that's what belonging really is. It's being part of something bigger than us. And I want to encourage you this morning to not only choose to belong yourself, but to realize and turn on your radars. To know that when somebody is going through something difficult, when somebody is making poor choices, ask yourself, do they realize that they belong? Do they realize that they belong with us? That they belong with God? That they belong in this community? That there's a place for them? That there's a place for their talents and their gifts to be developed and to be explored? You belong. And if you're here this morning and you haven't felt like that, I want to encourage you to open your heart. To this very powerful true truth that the Apostle Paul shares with us. That we are all members of the same body. And we all belong to each other. Do you receive it this morning? Amen.